It's good. Um, so those are wondering, like, the order of service seems different. You're out of your mind. It's normal. Uh, now, we, you see, worship is short today. We did one of the three songs we plan on doing today, but I'm going to teach on worship as we start this new series about corporate worship called Ascend. And, uh, and so we have saved two of our songs at the end. How many guys like being taught and then doing it, right? Good, because we have a series on giving coming up. No, I'm kidding. But it, it's... So good morning, Grand Blank, Pastor Jim and Carrie. Good morning, Mississippi House Campus. Good morning, online. Good morning, WSNL Radio. Good morning, Genesee County Jail. I, we are on in Genesee County Jail, and that's exciting to us. Um, I had a, a friend come. I sat at a table. All the tables were full at one of our Thursday night things this summer. And I, I sat down. I said, can I sit here? I didn't know the people there. And he said, oh, man, yeah, please. So I sat down. How's it going? My name's Jim. And we started talking. He said, hey, are you the pastor? And I said, yeah, I, I am. He, he said, oh, I can't believe I'm sitting next to you. I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm sorry. There was nobody else. All the other seats were taken. And he said, no. He said, I, I, you really got me through a hard time. I, I listened to you twice a day. I said, really? Because, yeah, in the morning, and then I listened to you late at night just before I go to sleep. I thought, how, how close to just, like, during my sermon you go to sleep or when? He said, then there's another guy on that I, guy always puts me right to sleep. I'm like, okay, good, you know. He said, I haven't listened in a couple of months, but, I, but I, I've been listening to you consistently for almost a year, and I'm like, okay, why, why haven't you listened in the last couple of months? He said, well, I, I got out of jail. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, Genesee County Jail plays WSNL radio, and you're on twice a day, Monday through Friday, and he said, I, I always listen to you. So, good morning, Genesee County Jail. Oh, you're so glad. And uh, if you're wondering what to do when you get out, man, come sit next to my wife and I. Let's hang out. Let's get to know each other, and um, we'll eat. Amen. Amen. So, um, I'm going to say one last thing, too, before we get in the Word this morning. It's simply this. I encourage you, if you're, if you're at home watching or whatever, if you, it is physically possible for you to come to church, I really believe you get more out of this next season by being here than by watching it on the phone. And I realize some people are in Florida, and some people are in you know, Tennessee, and some people are in New York, and some people are in Genesee County Jail. But, I, but if you can make it here, understand that corporate worship is, like, you can enjoy a casserole by taking a bite of it. You can enjoy a casserole by seeing a picture of it in a magazine. But I mean, no, those are two very different enjoyments. I'm, I'm not saying you can't worship where you are. I'm not saying you can't worship with your phone or driving down the road in your car. But I am simply saying this. The, the point of this next series is us coming together with our hearts. Not, not some sort of uniformity where we all do the same thing at the same time. You know what I mean? But, but unity. How many of you know that, that where God sees unity, he bestows his blessing? And so coming together is so important that if you can make it, if you're in driving distance, man, come be a part of this for the next few weeks, and uh, let's just kick the devil's butt. Somebody say amen. Open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 132, Psalms 132, verse 7, and this is what the writer of the psalm says. He says, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, arise, Lord, and come here, come to your resting place, you and the ark. Now, I, I put in parentheses the word presence. The ark of the covenant was the place where God said, my presence will dwell between, how many guys ever saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, the, the two critters on top that have the wings over their face, and they kind of point towards each other? God said, I, my presence will rest in the covering of that ark. Like, that's where my presence will be. So he says, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness and may your faithful 
people sing for joy. Now, this was probably Solomon who wrote this psalm, and, and I, I'll tell you why in a minute, but he, what he's doing is, is David had this heart to build this temple, this place for God where people could meet with God and God could meet with people, this place that you always knew that if you go there, God's presence would be there. If you had, no matter how big the problem was, no matter how great the sin, no matter how great the, the dream, there would always be a place where you could know that God's presence dwelt there. And David just had this heart to build this. Now, God said you can't build it because there's too much blood on your hands, and that may be because he, you know, was a warrior and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's because of things that he'd done that kind of disqualified him from building that. It may be because David had killed so many people. There was a lot of stories that people told, like David, that king of Israel that killed your father. You know what I mean? So that they, maybe God didn't want his, the temple being associated with the, the king that had, had been a king of war and conquering. But for whatever reason, Solomon has, had been trained his whole life by his father, like build the temple, build the temple, build the temple. He haven't, the writer of this says in verse one, says, Lord, remember David and all of his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. David built this temple, and I think there's a couple good reasons. He wanted the place that honored God and where God's presence would remain. But I think another reason is because he wanted people to come to that place and be clothed, as he says in the psalm, with God's righteousness and God's faithful people could sing for joy. How many guys like that thought? There's a place. Anybody got a place in your life where you just get better reception? There's, there's this hill, this mountain, this whatever, this, this extinct volcano behind a church in Phoenix that I've prayed on for years. And I'm telling you, I get excited when I go to Phoenix. And I, it's, yes, the sunshine, yes, the cactus. Come on, can I get a little Mexican food, amen? You know what I mean? And, and you know, we lived there, we got married there. We, you know, that's all the nostalgia of it. But I'm telling you, when I'm in Phoenix, I want to climb that mountain. And not because it gets easier. How many guys know that as you get older, the mountains get higher? And the air gets thinner. You don't, but the air gets thinner as you get older. And, and I, I mean, you know, huffing and puffing, getting to the top of the thing. But I've always gotten such great reception. Like once I'm up there, God just speaks. Matter of fact, if I get up there and God doesn't speak, I usually take that as God trying to tell me something by not telling me something because I get great reception up there, right? So um, Jesus said that the place where we'd meet with the Lord is no longer this Jerusalem thing, this, this temple. It's no longer, you know, the Samaritans have this hill and the Jews have that hill and I've got my hill. But this is what Jesus says. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, understand when Jesus says true worshipers, that means there'll be some who worship, but they don't worship truly. They're repetitious, they're formal, they're, they're, it's their habit, it's their tradition, it's their, their mama's mandate, their, their father's you know, faith, but it's not theirs. And Jesus says there's going to be a group of people, and the time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father, where? In spirit and in truth. So it isn't geographical anymore, it's more the, the default setting of my heart. I'm here because you're here. I'm, a matter of fact, me coming to meet with you emerges who you are. Like, like my eyes become open when I realize you're here. Like when I, I, I gathered a place at a time with people in unity for the purpose of approaching your throne just, just to sing to you, just to love you, just to know you. He said, that's the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You guys got time for some stories? He'll give me two more minutes. Good, because I just started two minutes ago. Like, I'd be, um, it was almost 40 years ago I worshiped for the first time in my life. And say, so how do you know that? Um, I, I, I don't know, except I do. 
I got saved at a rock concert, which was wonderful. I'd praised God. You see a son say, wow, praise God, you know. You, you hear a baby's first cry, you go, wow, that's obnoxious. I was single. Give me a break, you know. You, you, you're, you're, you know, Michigan meets Ohio, beats Ohio State. Yay, praise God, right? But I, I had never really known the power of corporate worship until I was 17. Got saved at 16. I'm now 17. Graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. My sister was Sigma Cum Laude. I was, oh, thank you, Laude. By the grace of God, I, I got out of high school. And uh, they're like, Jim, just go. Okay, good. And, uh, and they invited me to go to Haiti with a, like a Young Life group uh, called Youth for Christ. And I, I went down there. And, uh, you know, you see poverty, gut-wrenching, starvation-type poverty in northern Haiti during those days under the thumb of a dictator named Duvalier. And, and kids are starving to death. And I, I remember going down to the beach after seeing all of that, and we're doing construction hot. I got, I got the ha-has, which is dysentery. <laughs> another story for another time, but ha-ha-ha. That's why we called it the ha-has, and use your imagination. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the girls down there started singing this song. She said, maybe you know it, and don't, don't sing it. I'll just do a terrible job, but just for the sake of humbling all of us, you know, mostly me. She's, we're down there in the sun setting, and it's quiet for a minute because we're watching the sunset. And she says, sing hallelujah to the Lord. And someone knew it. It's around. They said, sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to the sing. Hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. To the Lord. I didn't know the words of the song, but there's only three of them. And I caught on after about eight times. And that's what we did. And I, I, I'd sang before, I'd praised God before, but that was the first time where just suddenly we were overtaken by something more than the lyrics to a song and something more than the quality of a voice and something more than the beauty of a sunset. We worshiped together. I remember thinking, man, I never want that to end. How many guys know that when you taste heaven, you don't want to go back to earth? So we'd have chapel, and we'd learn about this and learn about that. We'd go do our construction, but every night I wanted to go back to that beach. It's funny, just last week, one of the, one of the kids who is my age now that was on that trip said, I don't know if you remember me, we went to Haiti together in 1983, and I said, oh, yeah, we'd had that conversation before. She said, remember we used to sit down on the beach, and we'd sing that song, sing hallelujah to the Lord. I'm like... That is so interesting that it wasn't just my moment, but it was somebody else's. Worshiping God, guys, I, I gotta tell you something. I, I've been in counseling. I've been in study. I've sat under brilliant minds of theology. I've, I've had psychoanalysis. I've had some pretty deep inner healing stuff. But can I tell you something? That, that God can do more in our surrendered hearts in a moment of worship than we can do in ourselves in a lifetime of, of effort. I, I don't know how, but when he's being him and we come underneath that spout, it's like he adjusts us. It, and, and I like chiropractors uh, in the sense that I walk in in pain and then they hurt me really bad and then I walk out feeling better. They say things like, just relax. It's like, how about you get a sore spot that I jump on and see how stupid you sound right now, <laughs> right? Just relax. When you tense up, I can't adjust you. It's like, well, when you adjust me, I can't relax. I just, just so we're in agreement here, you know? But it's funny how that one pop, and all of a sudden, I go from being a question mark back to an exclamation point because there was this adjustment. It, it, it wasn't like, okay, I do 100 setups a day. Okay, two, and then five, and then work up to 100 setups a day over the course of six months, and you'll go from being this to this. It's not, it's pop. And that adjustment of my spine relieves this pressure, this tension, this lie 
that has become who I am, and I'm, I'm relieved to be vertical. I'm relieved to be what God created me to be. Um, I have seen this happen so many times that, that I, it makes me long for those corporate encounters of worship. I remember back when our auditorium was now our kids' auditorium, there was a season of worship that just kind of hit us. It wasn't like we said, we're going to have a season of worship or a series of worship. Just how many of you guys know sometimes the wind blows and sometimes it doesn't? But man, you hope you're outside when the wind blows, right? And so we just had to be in the right place at the right time. And I remember a guy that really, these two men had serious ought with each other. One was a bouncer at Modoggies. I may live long enough to remember the scourge of Fenton known as Modoggies, the, the bar from which I did more funerals than any other organization. Everybody stumbles out and gets drunk and walks on the freeway and gets hit by a car. And just like it was just killing people left and right. I hated that place. I, for years, said, that's going to be a church. That's going to be a church. That's going to be a church. The guy that bought it said, hey, it's not going to be a church, but it's not going to be a bar anymore. I said, awesome. Good for you. Now it's an ice skating rink. And I, I remember, um, you know, the, the, during time of worship, I was playing piano and was singing. And I, I just kind of opened my eyes. And I would usually sing with my eyes closed. I'm just, I'm just... It isn't what I'm seeing. It's there's something else happening inside of me, and I'm sitting there in that, in that moment, and I open my eyes, and I see this man going towards this other man. How many of you know that could be a really good thing or that could be a really bad thing, and I'm stuck to a piano? Sing hallelujah. Security. Security. Sing hallelujah to the deacons. Deacons. You know? And the guy taps the guy on the shoulder. He turns around, and, is, and he's kind of like, what? And, and the guy just, I just see his posture like he melts and... And he does this, and he puts his hand out, and the guy doesn't just shake his hand, he grabs it, and they embrace each other, and they start bawling. Now, what, what made that happen? I confronted the one and said, you're wrong. I confronted the other and said, you're twice as wrong. Now, be right. How many of you know when you say that to proud men, you should just run? God humbled them because God was greater than them. And when they realized how great he was, I guess... I guess carrying the weight of unforgiveness was too much. I remember one time, it was right over in kind of this area here, there was a guy that came up to me after service and said, hey, I, uh, during worship, I've been coming here for a few weeks, and I heard someone uh, praying in tongues, and I'm really not comfortable with that, and I need you to stand up next Sunday and publicly correct that error because the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you're in a Pentecostal church, so that's going to be a problem. And uh, I don't know who it was. And, you know, and they're worshiping the Lord. It shouldn't have been loud enough. We're not supposed to be causing confusion with this. But, yeah, we want people to, to exercise all the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge and words of wisdom. They're just blessings from God. Why would we want to open gifts? I mean, they're gifts, you know. Well, I'm, I'll give you two weeks to correct it, and then I'm out of here. I'm like, well, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you, brother, because you know, there's stuff that we believe and there's stuff that we are. Like, how, we've experienced this. We can't unexperience this. You know, it's, it's God. And about three weeks later, I noticed he was still there. Four or five weeks later, he comes walking up to me, and he said, I had an experience. I'd like to talk to you about, Reverend. I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> the last one was such a joy. This one should be fun, too. And he said, we were, we were worshiping together, and, I was, and then the word stopped, and the worship leader just said, kind of just, just sing to the Lord. He said, so I just started, like, I, I wasn't done. I didn't know what to say to God, so I just kind of wrote my own song. I just started singing to the Lord, singing to the Lord. He said, about, about a minute into it, I realized, I have no idea what I'm saying. He said, and it, but it just felt like, like I was finally saying to God what my heart has been wanting to say to God. I just didn't have the words for it. What is that? I said, remember that thing you criticized like four weeks ago? You drank the Kool-Aid, brother. <laughs> I remember right in this area, there used to be a man by the name of Nick, and he worshiped the Lord like every song was just, like Nick, Nick just loves Jesus. How many of you guys know people that just love Jesus? 
And Nick would worship the Lord, and any song come on, you know, Mary had a, he'd be like, little lamb, and his name is Jesus, and I love him. I mean, there's scene in Elf, I love him, I love him, I love him. That was Nick. He couldn't sing, he couldn't dance, but he did both every Sunday in, in awkward, horrible, wonderful ways. And we had a man come in, only to come with his, his newly saved sons, his newly saved wife, because he, he was the, the, the last atheist in their family, and he came, and he sat right about in the front row right up here, and there's Nick over there doing his thing. And I remember Pat saying to me later, after he'd given his life to the Lord and was called to ministry and had been filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized him in water. It was beautiful. And, and, and he said, I remember coming in here, and this is where I was testimony. He said, I looked around the room and thought, these people are nuts. I, I've seen nuts, but I've never seen, like, a big can full of nuts. You know, driving down the street, some guy's drilling in his beard or whatever, but this, like everybody, is just nuts. He said, I don't believe anything they believe, but he, he said, I remember seeing Nick worshiping. He said, I don't believe anything they believe, but I do believe that that man believes. And he went up to him afterwards to find out, you know, what group home he was from, <laughs> what medication he hadn't taken, how long he'd, you know, been on heroin, and instead he encountered this engineer with a master's degree who was twice as smart as Pat probably will ever be, and Pat would tell you that. He just loved Jesus like a child. And it broke him that, I don't believe this, but I believe that he does. And that began the questions that led to his salvation. I'll even go so far as to say this, guys. You got time for one more story? Good, because I got 14 minutes and five seconds, four seconds, three seconds. It's hard to be ADD. It's so pretty. It's just so pretty. He... Uh, we were youth pastors for, I don't know, somewhere around a decade, you know, and, and some kids were making it, some kids weren't making it once they went into the adult world. So we started saying, why do some kids make it and some kids don't? We thought, well, some came from good homes, but that, that was a good indicator, but it was far from universal. Well, some kids come from bad backgrounds. That was a decent indicator, but, it, but some, it just, com- it, it didn't reconcile. So why this kid, why, is it what age we get them or whatever? And we realized there's about three things that made kids bulletproof from childhood into adulthood with their faith intact. Didn't matter if they joined the Marines or went into combat. Didn't matter if they went to college that was Christian or, or secular. Didn't matter if they started working in the factory or just whatever, they played Nintendo. If they, if they got these three things, their faith was, was translated from childhood into an adult life. And, and those three things were this. Number one was they had to have their own salvation experience. Mom and dad's faith is wonderful, but until those kids have their own, they're not saved. That the rules of your revelation are often their regulation that they resent because you're, you're doing something because of relationship. They're doing something because you told them they had to, right? So they had to have their own salvation experience. It didn't matter if daddy was a Lutheran or mom was a Catholic or, you know, Uncle Bill went to the Assemblies of God. Those, their, their faith in God had no bearing on their long-term faith themselves. They had to have their own decision. Number two, if we got them to the mission field where they could serve the God of the poor for at least a week and suffer and sweat, and get diarrhea, and eat stuff to make a billy goat puke, and then go home and realize those kids they fell in love with were still there. And the third thing was this. They needed what we're talking about right now. They needed at least one significant, spirit-filled, overwhelming, snot-soaked, tear-drained encounter worshiping God. If they had those three things, they're bulletproof, 99%. 
If they had two of those things, it was about 66%. If they had one of those things, about 33%. If they had none of those things, it was, it was that 1% that found their way into adult life and found Christ later on. And I'm telling you this, guys, this is so important. Why is it that one moment of an encounter with God can change us forever? So what you're saying, those kids never did anything wrong? I'm not saying that. What I am simply saying is this, that whatever they did wrong paled in pleasure to the things they experienced in the presence of God. So they went to the party and they got drunk and they had sex and they were done going, I feel so far from my joy. I feel so far from my identity. Like, like people going, like the, when was the last time I was happy? When was the last time I had peace? When was the last time I felt like me? And they'll go back to that altar when they were a kid at camp. They'll go back to that altar at church. You may notice we pulled out the front row here today because we are going to invite you in a moment when we worship to leave your chair, to find another place where you have room to spread out, to bow, to kneel, to love Jesus, to express yourself. Because something happens when we go from what's normal to something that's extraordinary, right? We were giving God an opportunity. I'm telling you this, guys. You say, what, what constitutes praise to God? And I, I think it's this. And Ben, come join me if you would. What constitutes, you know, praise is not like, yay. Like, even though that's part of it mechanically, that's not it. There, there's something, and, you, and you'll do it sometimes. I'll do it sometimes in other ways. How many of you guys know that when Michigan beat Ohio State, I was an idolater? Yeah! I've heard some people say, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a very reverent person. It's like, not at a ball game, you're not. It's not that you're not a worshiper. It's that we may be worshiping inferior things. Now, that doesn't mean we can't cheer for, you know, the Rams to absolutely destroy Cincinnati tonight. It doesn't mean you can't cheer for the lesser team to beat the Rams. It doesn't. I just want Stafford to do one. How many of you guys know Stafford? If there's such a thing as karma, Detroit owes him the Super Bowl. But, but I mean, like, I'm not aware. I, I just, you know, I was raised. I don't care. You are a worshiper because God made you to know him. And when you find him, stuff comes out like, yes, right? There's some Hebrew words we like to talk about. And uh, yeah, the band, the whole band, right? Band is coming? I, okay, good. So I'll make sure. Uh, Choda means to sacrifice to the Lord. We've got Yoda. He's a little green guy in the forest moon of Endor. We got yada means to lift your hands and surrender. Baruch means to bow. Maybe you've heard the Hebrew phrase Baruch Hashem Adonai Eloheinu, the, as they, the, the praying wall, they bow before the Lord. Baruch, they bow themselves. Shabbat means to shout. Zamar is a musical instruments. Hallel, I love Hallel. Um, maybe you know the phrase Hallelujah. That's praise the Lord. But Hallel doesn't just mean, oh, bless him, golf clap. Hallel literally means to dance, to shout, to go nuts, to make your mama feel weird. It's, it's to embarrass the friend that invited you to church. Matter of fact, when David is, is going amongst the Philistines, remember he kills Goliath, he's the poster child that should be killed. He is there, Osama bin Laden. He's enemy number one. And he's going to go live amongst the Philistines because the king wants to kill him. And the only safe place to get away from King Saul is to be with King Saul's chief enemy. So it, it'd be like Arnold Schwarzenegger wanting to go live in Baghdad. Not Schwarzenegger, he's the actor. Arnold Schwarzkopf, thank you. See, the gift of interpretation goes along with the gift of tongues. <laughs> thank you. Is it even Arnold? Norman. Oh, that poor kid. No wonder he grew up a warrior. And if your name's Norman, I'm so sorry that I, I said that. I just, I just know this, guys. I don't believe we're waiting on God. I believe God's waiting on us. 
like walking your whole life with your eyes closed and someone on the beach sings, sing hallelujah to the Lord and all of a sudden your eyes open and you realize there's a greater joy in the presence of God. I, I, I love this where Psalms 133 verses 1 through 3 which is the whole psalm, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. We come together and, and yes, we might have differing opinions on differing topics, but when God is our everything, we'll have everything in common with those who have God as their everything. Does this make sense? And, and in this, it's, it's so good. It's like, it's like the anointing oil that was symbolic for the Holy Spirit of God being poured on a high priest's head and it flows down his beard and, and down on the, to the very edges of his garment. Like it's like glug, 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 not, you know, a little ping, you're anointed. It's like he is drenched in this anointing. It's, it's like when, when this arid mountain that is the sacred mountain for, for God's people is drenched just like the, another mountain named the Mount, Mount Hermon. And, and it's like it's always sparkling with a million. It's like this, it, the, the water comes off the sea and it just shimmers in the morning sun. And then the sacred mountain is a dry one. He says, it'd be almost like the dew that covers Mount Hermon covering the sacred mountain. Like that's what happens when God's people come together and say, Jesus. Not politics, Jesus. Not race, Jesus. Not money, Jesus. What do you want? I want Jesus. Jesus shows up and it's so good. And it'll change your life in an instant in a way that all the things that men can do for men will never change you. So I'm gonna invite you, would you stand to your feet? And I'm gonna invite you just before we start this, this one last thing. Listen, I wouldn't wanna miss this. And if you're here, you're like, I'd worship God, but I'm unworthy. Here's the neat thing about the love of God. He loves every unworthy sinner. He died for every unworthy sinner. It, it, isn't, it isn't even appropriate to say I'm unworthy because worthy has the word worth in it. You may look in the mirror and say you're not worth the sacrifice that God would have to make to rescue you and forgive you. But when God looked at you, and God looked at me, and God looked at that 17-year-old kid on the beach in Haiti, and God looked at you at your worst moment, your best moment. And God looked at you at your lowest place, your highest place. When he considered your value, your worth, he concluded that you are worthy of his love. You are worthy that your worth is worth more than the life of his own son, Jesus, who died and then defeated death on the grave and came back and sent the Holy Spirit the altars will be open, and I encourage those who are early adapters to not wait until the ninth song, because there's only two. If, you're, if your intent this morning is to worship the Lord at a new level, then I, I would ask you to consider a new place, a new condition, a new posture, a new expression. I'm not trying to create uniformity. Now, everybody lift, and everybody bow, and everybody shout, and everybody play a musical instrument. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. Uniformity is different than Unity. Unity just means, God, I'm here to meet with you and listen to you and love on you. What is praise? It's, it's exalting who he is and what he's done. It's shouting to him how you feel about who he is and what he's done. I just say this last thing. If God's not distant because of your sin, but it feels like God didn't show up when you needed him, and that's why there's distance. I'm telling you, and I, and I want you to hear me. I believe this is from the Lord. You won't find God walking away from him. You'll, walk, you'll find God walking towards him. You may not believe that he's worth your trust anymore, but that hasn't stopped his belief in you. Let the Holy Spirit heal the broken pieces of your heart and answer the questions, if with nothing else, with, the, with peace that passes all understanding. Father, today we just are the offering. 
We are the sacrifice. We are the instrument. We are the hands. We are the, the knees that bow. We are your people. And this is a moment that writing a check would not satisfy. This is a moment where getting on a boat and crossing the oceans to preach the gospel in an unknown language to unreached people, it wouldn't satisfy. We, weren't, we were created to do certain things, but the only thing that truly satisfies the soul of your people is to worship you in spirit and in truth. So today, there's differences, but you're greater than the differences. There's sins. So we ask for forgiveness, knowing that you're greater than our sin. There's fear. There's tradition. There's intimidation. There's embarrassment. There's pride. We now declare Jesus Christ Lord of all. Come on, church. Lord of all. Lord of all my embarrassments. Lord of all my fears. Lord of all my self-consciousness. Lord of all. Lord of all. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of all. You have been so good. So, so, so good. So, so. Would you lead us in that song? So good. God, you've been so good. You've been so good.